job up. Good job up. Welcome, my friends, to the Moon Jockeys podcast. <laughs> An in-depth discussion of Star Wars themes, characters, and storylines. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to another episode of Moon Jockeys Podcast. My name is Brian, your host. I'm excited to welcome a new guest tonight. You may know her from Rogue Podron, Blaster Cannon Podcast, or the Not Safe for Work Podcast. How are you doing tonight, Saf? Hi, I'm doing good, Brian. <laughs> I'm glad to talk to you um, about Solo. Uh, I thought that you would be a great person to talk to, particularly about the female characters in Solo. Um, I know it's something that you're really passionate about. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Let's go over the poll results. The question I asked was, uh, who is your favorite female character in Solo, A Star Wars Story? The options I gave was Kira, Infis Nest, L337, and Val. And the winning vote was Kira for, with 45% of the votes. Which of those characters would you say is your favorite character so far? Oh, after seeing the movie, I think Infamous Nest is my favorite. Oh, yeah? Mm, um, yeah, she is really cool. I agree. <laughs> I, I, would, <laughs> I would like to find out more, but I'm sure we'll talk about that later tonight. I think my favorite character is um, it's pretty close, but it might be L337. I kind of liked... Her sense of humor a lot in the mm, movie. She is very funny. Yeah, she totally is. Um, we were introduced to L three three seven through the EW article, and in it, it described her as being a droid that belongs to no one, um, and has constructed herself over the years, building upon and adjusting her original design. She's a modif- self modified droid. Uh, the idea is that she's sort of a mutt, if you will, of various parts of different kinds of droids who's improved upon herself. Going into the movie, what w- were you most excited about with L337? Um, so I've been, I mean, anyone who knows me knows that I've been advocating for a female droid, a uh, central character in a Star Wars film or Star Wars property for a while because we have a lot of droids, but they're all uh, masculine coded because. I don't know, because they are. Um, so when we finally got like an explicitly female-coded droid for Solo, I was really excited about that. Um, the idea of a droid that was like... I mean, even outside of Star Wars, I have a whole like thing with sci-fi and artificial AI and droid rights because that's just kind of where I've placed myself in the world. Um, and so the idea of a droid that was looking for freedom for other droids and was so centered around the idea... But was also, you know, the kind of typical droid sidekick who's funny and friendly and witty and kind of sassy. Um, it was really cool. And I like the fact that her design wasn't explicitly feminine because, you know, that does happen in Star Wars as well as other sci-fi properties. Uh, I, yeah, I was really keen for this female droid who looked kind of weird and 
was quite sassy and wanted to fight for freedom for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was really excited for that. I kind of thought that she had a potential to be, um, to connect with like the LGBTQ community a little bit, uh, particularly mm-hmm. about uh, redefining herself and picking what kind of parts she wanted to have be. Does that yeah. make any sense at all? That does make sense. I never thought about that before, but I do like that. I think in general, well, I know personally a lot of uh, queer and neurodivergent people, some people with you know neurological disorders of some kind, uh, identify with droid kind of characters and things. And I think a lot of it does come from the fact that they've got, you know, brains that are different from other people or like they can be built in different ways. They can kind of identify as what they want. Um, they're not really defined to one particular role except for what society defines them as. And I think droids like L3 can kind of bring their representation if if it's brought in in any way. Like I don't think from watching the movie that L3 could be like queer representation of some kind, but I could definitely see queer people wanting to identify, I mean, I identify with her because of how she kind of defines her own role in society and has become her own person. Um, so I definitely see why you thought, why you would think that. Yeah. Okay. And I, I guess I just thought that the droid rights, um, fighting for droid rights would be sort of parallel to fighting for equal rights, um, like for marriage and things of that nature. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why I have such a, I don't know, a brand of caring about droids' rights because if they're sentient in a property, like in Star Wars, they are sentient people. Um, droids' rights make sense along with, like, I, I care about equal rights for people. So yeah. it makes sense that in sci-fi, I would care about, you know, equal rights for droids as well because in Star Wars, so much of it is about, like, doing what's right. I mean... If you ignore the prequels and the whole, like, oh, we can't do anything about slavery kind of thing. Um, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, it's about, like, everyone being treated equal. Um, and so getting a chance to actually have a character who was a droid who cared about that was really cool. Yeah, definitely. And she's kind of so abrupt and matter-of-factly about it. Um, I love the part uh, when Lando asks her if he can get her anything, and she just flat-out says, <laughs> equal rights. Do you know- I love that bit. <laughs> She's just a little, uh, she, she tells it like it is, you know what I mean? Yeah, she reminds me a lot of myself, because that's the kind of joke I would make. You're a bit of a reader. That's a total mm-hmm. understatement. Did you read um, The Last Shot? I did, yeah. I um, read it for Blaster Cannon. I mean, I was going to read it anyways, but I read it particularly quickly for Blaster Cannon. Um, I was kind of made aware of a section that I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, there's a quote where L3 is talking to uh, Lando and she asks a question of who is the maker but our own selves really sure some guy in a factory probably pieced me together originally but someone else programmed me so to speak but then the galaxy itself, itself forged me into who I am because we learn Lando we're programmed to learn which means we grow we grow away from the singular moment of creation become something new with each changing moment of our lives yes lives and look at me these parts i did this so maybe when we say the maker we're referring to the whole galaxy or maybe we just mean ourselves or maybe 
we are our own makers, no matter what, no matter who puts the parts together. When you read that, what do you get out of what L3 said about the maker? I remember when I read that initially, I think that was kind of the point when I realized how much I loved L3 as a character. Um, because that, I mean, I write a lot of, you know, sci-fi about robots and AI myself because it's something that I enjoy, that I find particularly interesting, um, when it comes to like, you know, talking about humanity and stuff like that. Um, so reading that kind of felt like reading something that I would write myself, which was extremely cool to read out of a Star Wars book, especially about, you know, a droid. Um, I think what she's saying, I mean, it refers to droids as well, but it also refers to how people are because, you know, we're born, we have our internal biological programming, but we are shaped by our experiences and the people around us. And I think the same goes for droids. Like if you look at R2-D2, like (laughs) he's definitely been shaped by his experiences. He has become a sassy little boy of a droid because of like being Anakin's droid and Luke's droid and, um, like BB-8, probably a lot of his personality and how he acts now comes from like Poe Dameron because Poe is just like such a good person. It makes sense that BB-8 would then become like this good person as well. Um, so a lot of what L3 is saying makes so much sense. And I think it's kind of beautiful to see this in a Star Wars book that hasn't really talked about like Star Wars as a franchise. I know Legends kind of went to droids uh, revolution at some point. I haven't read that stuff, so I'm not quite sure what it was. But at least in like current canon the current kind of understanding of it they don't really go into droids much at all and they don't really talk about like being self-made even for people like it's such a big theme in solo is that solo is you know self-made he kind of becomes himself through his actions and all of that um instead of being you know like anakin the chosen one who's kind of his role is defined um and i think this is just like I don't know if you think about it for quite a bit it's, it's quite powerful because it says a lot about not just droids but about us and what we can become oh totally like i think it gets to the heart of are we more nature based on genetics or nurture in the environment that we grow up in and how does that environment like shape us and how do our choices impact what happens to our future do you know what i mean yeah exactly and it's She's also kind of saying that even if you are built for one thing or like are supposed to be one thing, you can define yourself otherwise if you want. Yeah. How do you define yourself? Like, do you think about that a lot or um, are there any labels you place on yourself? Yeah, I am somewhat of a fan of labels for myself, not in general, just because I spent so much of my younger years kind of lost in the world. Um, So like I mainly define myself as ADHD and bisexual or queer um, and or neurodivergent even. And because so much of who I am is wrapped up in my ADHD and um, I, I understand other people don't like using labels as much, but I find it very easy for myself. If I don't have these kind of wrappers to put myself in, then I kind of overflow into everything. Um, if that makes any sense. <laughs> oh, I understand. I define yeah. myself a lot. And unfortunately I feel like all of my labels put me as enemy target. Number one of most of the population. And that's like kind of depressing, but yeah. Mm. Because, I mean, I'm a white Christian male (laughs) that's that's straight, Um, and I know that that is 
in a, in a lot of the circles like kind of a bad thing um i i try to break the mold of what that expectation is of what those people are like but i mm. still feel like i uh face that um just the disgust with that with a lot of those labels do you know what i mean yeah well i yeah because there's a lot of stigmatization around you know neurodivergence and queerness um i think it can be hard if you're part of more like liberal circles and you are like you know a straight white dude um you do get a lot of flack from other people even if you do try to do good um which is what's important i think when people refer to those things like as labels they're not you know talking about you personally there is just that majority kind of tends to be the questionable majority sometimes when it comes to queer rights and other rights um but like yeah no i understand what you mean i i'm also a big fan of personality tests which is sort of like knowing yourself and understanding how why you do what you do um so like yeah I'm an ENFP in the Myers-Briggs. Hey, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, I, I love love that one, and, um, yeah. Is there anything that uh, you're doing in your life now to, quote-unquote, improve yourself? Yeah, I am currently doing therapy. I've been doing it for two years now, on and off, um, and it's done a lot for me, uh, personally, I've kind of gone from being a mess of a human with like no emotions and no empathy uh, to being someone with, you know, I feel emotions on the daily and I have a lot of empathy. Turns out empathy is a very difficult thing to deal with once you learn it. Um, because suddenly you, you feel sad when other people are sad. And yeah. it's, it's sad because you want to help them. Um, like I've always been someone that cares about others, but I've never actually felt the empathy before. But I've learned how to, you know, deal with emotions and not be scared of everything all the time because I used to be. Uh, I also have been doing, you know, um, more treatment for my ADHD because that was uh, diagnosed two years ago as well. Be a better person. I've tried to be more conscious online of how I talk to people because I know I used to definitely jump down throats a lot more than I do now, um, which was not the nicest of me. So I try and be conscious of how I react to other people and talk to other people, especially people I don't know super well. Mm -hmm. um, because... I, you know, I want to be the best I can be and I care a lot about other people. So if I can help other people feel safer around me, that's me doing a good job. I think you do well at that. I've always had conversations <laughs> with you, but thank um, you. About a year ago, I, uh, had a bit of a, let's deal with reality moment. And, um, I basically gave up soda overnight, like cold Turkey. Um, at the moment, I had been drinking about 10 cans of Coke a day, which is a lot. And I had been doing that for probably about 30 years. So um, my addiction to Coke is like Coca-Cola was pretty intense. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then at the same time, I also um, pursued testing to see if I have sleep apnea, which I have a severe case of sleep apnea. And almost a year later, um, the quitting Coke was the easy part. I mean, I've <laughs> gone pretty much a year without having any Coke. 
That's um, actually really impressive. Nice work. <laughs> thanks. The um, <laughs> getting the treatment for the sleep apnea has been the heart one of the hardest struggles I've had um, because I just have other things in my life that make it very hard for me to wear the mask at night, and it's given yeah. me a ton of anxiety um, and panic attacks. So I've been doing counseling to to deal with that to get that better, but. Um, it, it, I've just had a lot of about a year of fighting with fear and um, trying to get beyond the fear to trust that uh, taking small steps will make a better impact in my life. Um, so I'm just basically trying to get healthier and lose weight. So I'm trying to do a lot of things to improve mm. my life. Yeah, it can be really hard to take those steps to start improving life. Um, I put off therapy for quite a while um as well as other things because you know it's, it can be scary in your life because you don't know how you're gonna else is gonna change but it's so important to do um i quit coffee i think two years ago cold turkey and i was at a point that i was drinking way too much coffee a day because i was a barista not long before that um and that was hard and i've worked really hard to not get back into that addiction because um caffeine like sets off my anxiety and it you know it interferes my adhd medication yeah. Uh, but I love coffee so much. Um, but I have been good at that, and it has noticeably helped me um, regulate myself better. Uh, but yeah, it is it is extremely hard, especially when it comes to like exercise and dieting. Those things are difficult because they're habits that you have to break, and breaking long habits is very very hard. Yeah. Totally, I I, I agree. But I I just think that it's good to be conscious of self care and. Um, doing things that will help you feel better every day, like small things every day can make a big yeah. impact long-term. Yeah, absolutely. Like I make an effort to go outside once a day because I used to be, you know, extremely anxious and depressed. So I would just not leave the house. And it turns out leaving the house makes me feel better because I see sunlight and I sometimes see other people. Sometimes I see cats, you know, it's very exciting. Um, <laughs> it's just it's small things like that, that can really help. And I think like bringing it back to Star Wars, um, L3 kind of having this determination to define herself and not let other people define, you know, droids um, can potentially be something good for people to see. Like this character that would normally be shoehorned into this particular role or this particular like kind of uh, job within the universe as a droid can kind of be this funny humanoid or humanoid, you know, person of a character that's interacting with everyone else and kind of brings forward this idea of, doing what you believe in and also being yourself regardless of what you are um l3's conversation with kira um unfortunately was kind of all about boys um, yeah like if you could rewrite that conversation what topic would you want them to talk about i have strong feelings on l3's art within solo um largely because i have strong feelings on theme within storytelling uh, i have strong feelings on theme in general um I think when all of your story is aligned with your theme, you have a stronger story all up. Uh, and so the theme in Solo is largely freedom, right? It's mm -hmm. Kira and Solo both trying to get freedom from their childhood and becoming themselves. Um, and so that conversation that L3 and Kira have, I think should have been more about freedom because Kira, you know, has been a slave for Dryden Foss. She's been raised in these slums by um, the worm lady. Why have I suddenly forgotten her name? 
Lady Pro- uh, Proximo. Proxima. Yeah, Lady Proxima. Yeah, such a cool name. Um, like she's, you can tell by how she enters a story that she wants that freedom. Like that's what she's looking for is her own self-determination. And I think her having a conversation with L3, who's a self-determined droid, would have been extremely powerful for someone like Kira. Um, like instead of being like, oh, Solo's in love with you, it could have been like, I can see what you're trying to do. Or like, I can see that you're trying to, you know, become free and become yourself like and or it could even be kira asking l3 how she has like reached a point that she can do that herself um like showing more curiosity into how she can become like that i think would have been a lot better than some kind of weird throwaway line about how l3 can still do it with people weird very weird um you don't like thinking about l3 having sex no, it's not that so much as I'm kind of frustrated that the first female droid they bring in, they sexualize in that way. Yeah. Um, because they've never had to talk about like whether or not 3PO could sleep with, you know, Leia. That's yes. never a conversation they've had to have. It's very um, true. But of course, yeah, when it, they bring in a female droid, they're like, don't worry, she can she can still do it, though. She can uh-huh. still have sex. And I'm like, ugh, did we need to talk that, though? We really didn't. No. Um, There's think- the whole Bechdel test thing of like women talking to each other. And this kind of ruins that because each other in this movie, but they talk about a dude. Um, and, you know, we, we already have so much of Solo and Lando in this movie. These two women can have their own little moment. That would have been a better conversation if they had talked about freedom or pursuing bettering yourself. I, I agree with what you're saying about themes. <laughs> that would have been a much Thank better you. conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of bittersweet that L3 gets shot in the moment living her best life basically fulfilling her destiny her life's purpose liberating the droids on kessel uh, when she says rebellion no more subjugation (laughs) and like i found my purpose lando um is there anything that gives you that kind of feeling in life where you feel like you're um living your purpose um I think so. Um, I am the chair of IGDA New Zealand, which is the International Game Developers Association, New Zealand chapter. Uh, so I we do a lot of, well, we haven't for a while because we've kind of been on break, um, but we try and do a lot of work for building like grassroots initiatives for the game development community in New Zealand. Um, and so we like run workshops, we organize like little mini exhibitions for people to show their indie games to like the public and get feedback. Um, and when I am doing those events and running those events and seeing people interact with each other and learn things and show their games off that feel like I have my purpose in a way because I believe very strongly in community and I'm part of the game development community because, you know, I'm a game developer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when I can kind of sit in my place and help that community grow, I feel very fulfilled. The times in my life where I felt closest to that is um, I have a lot of like baggage and as a kid, and I tend to be a pretty open and honest person in sharing that and um, sharing my experience about what has led me to be the person that I am. It's actually given me opportunities to create deep connections with other people and then also opportunities to point them in a direction of healing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And just, uh, I guess, 
the bad things in my life have happened so that other people could be helped in some way. Um, and I think that that is a way of redeeming those bad things. Um, and I think that that's pretty meaningful to me. Yeah, I kind of feel similar. Like, I mean, I have a lot of baggage from my childhood as well, which I'm also pretty open about because I know that it can help other people to know, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, that they have some, someone else's struggles like them. Yeah, like people want to uh, feel like they're not the only one. Like people tend to feel isolated. But yeah. They should. Yeah, bad things in particular, like trauma can definitely isolate you very easily. And like I've been considering somewhat, not super much because I'm in a career path already, but I would, I very much want to become a, a therapist. So like studying psychotherapy um i probably wouldn't do that anytime soon because you know i'm already busy with life and i would have to figure out um, licensing for different countries if i want to move but uh the idea of becoming a therapist and helping other people in more tangible ways like my therapist has done so much for me um kind of fills me with this like purpose that i want to do it and whether or not i can help people through games in the future like doing serious games that are games for change and help uh might be the trajectory that i take instead but the idea of doing that just is very good. I would love to do that. I'm going to throw you a giant softball, and you can right. um, answer it easily. Are droids property of their masters, or are they conscious beings that should be allowed to exercise free will in the galaxy far, far away? Oh, I mean, you already know my answer to this. They are conscious beings. Um, obviously, not all droids would be. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure a probe droid is probably you know a very basic intelligence Um there's the idea of like, you know, basic AI and smart AI. And so you've got like the AI that are conscious, like obviously R2 and L3. And then you've got basic AI that are probably more like, you know, a ship's AI. Um, but, you know, I they don't go into much of that in Star Wars. They basically have the idea that they wipe droids regularly so they don't become fully sentient and develop personality, which is why 3PO is 3PO and why R2 is still like so personality driven. Um, I think they should be allowed to exercise free will. I, I do. Um, Star Wars has kind of issues with having, you know, subservient classes like the clones and the droids and the slaves that they've got in that universe. Um, and so droids, I don't think are like the most important aspect of that because when you've got slaves in the universe considering real world baggage, there's probably something that should be dealt with first. Um, which I don't think Star Wars ever will because that is a bit heavy for Star Wars. And I do understand that you just, you don't think about these things too deeply, but I do think that having more droids that are themselves and being allowed to be free would just be really cool because it shows that these characters that we've seen as like being properties of their masters for so long can you know be their own thing because they are like we treat r2 like an equal character and we treat bb8 like an equal character but like still we consider anakin and luke you know r2's masters and we consider bb8 still owned by poe dameron um i guess bb8 is kind of more of a dog (laughs) than an actual human so it kind of makes sense with bb8 um but when it comes to like 3PO, him being owned by someone, it's kind of weird because, you know, he's like a, he looks like a person as well, somewhat. Uh, but it's again, it's one of those things that you just have to not think about too much in Star Wars because once you start thinking about it, it becomes kind of questionable sometimes. I think it's a very interesting topic because it kind of goes back to that nature and nurture thing a little bit because yeah. um, I, I think that the droids that have the most personality and the most, um, like humanity and individual personality um, tend to be the ones that are entrusted with people that um, 
value them. Uh, yeah. Like that, that, that treat them better, that, um, nurture them well. Um, and they tend to thrive and grow beyond of what they initially were. Um, it's sort of like goes back to the clones in the clone wars cartoon because the Jedi were in charge of training them like master Yoda and many of the Jedi encouraged them to be individuals and to uh, express themselves as a person and gave them names as opposed to just having an identification number and sort of brought them back to gave them back a piece of their humanity um and because of that they they developed creative thinking and problem solving which is developed in like the fives arc and i think that that kind of yeah. is a parallel to what some of the droids are like uh, i'd agree like like i said you can kind of see it in like r2 and bb8 they've got these people that care about them even though they're droids um and kind of give them the space to grow into being you know what they are um poe obviously trusts bb8 a lot and same with anakin and r2 like anakin has so much faith in r2 and like in the clone wars when r2 goes missing anakin goes out of his way to go and save r2 um which like you wouldn't do for like some normal like piece of trash that you just like your phone i mean i would probably go out of my way to save my phone <laughs> my, I phone my phone has got a lot of stuff in it <laughs> But I mean, if I like lost my camera, if my camera got like stolen by someone, I wouldn't like go across the galaxy to try and find it. Right. Um, but like you would do that for, you know, someone that you care about. And Arta was someone that Anakin cares about. And I think um, it kind of goes to show that like in the real world, that if you are given space to grow and to be trusted, you kind of grow more into that space instead of being confined to um, what people expect of you or what they tell you to do. How do you feel about L3 becoming part, uh, navigation information being added to the Millennium Falcon? Ooh. Um, so I've tweeted about this a bit recently because I actually absolutely hate what happens to L3 in Solo. Um, like I said, the theme of the movie is freedom and L3 gets the opposite of that, despite being the character who's so built around the idea of freedom. I wish that either she'd been given a choice in the matter and decided to do that herself or that they'd made it very clear that it was just her navigation information, not her actual like brain. But they basically say that they're putting her brain into the ship. Um, and so she's this character who's built herself up and become this thing that she's created and that she wants to be. And then, you know, she dies kind of haphazardly because, you know, how many times has the 3PO been taken apart in the movies and been fine? Um, yeah. And then she gets, like, you know, shoved into the Falcon, which is a ship she hasn't... She's piloted this ship, but she hasn't created this ship. This isn't a part of who she is. Um, and then, so she's stuck there now. And so I kind of hope that, like, in the canon at some point, like, Orlando rescues her from that and her be her own thing, or that, you know, she rescues herself from it, because the idea of her being stuck in this ship that's being piloted by Han Solo of all people, because um, <laughs> he does not take good care of that ship, like generally speaking um yeah, i mean it was very kind pretty of breaks my heart. solo <laughs> yeah he kind of ruined that ship real quickly and i'm kind of impressed by that i feel like he went out of his way to make it dirty just to spite lando but yeah like i understand the idea of the poetry that they want for that but i feel like it, they used the wrong character type like if they wanted to do this with the character from the start then they shouldn't have built her so much being around herself and her own person and freedom 
and again, like it, it goes against the theme of the movie, which is kind of what jars me so much is that she, everyone else kind of finds their freedom, like Lando, well, not Lando, because, you know, he gets his ship stolen, but Han does and Kira does. Um, but L3 kind of just gets unceremoniously shoved in the ship and just kind of gets forgotten. Like Lando, Han just goes along to steals the ship from Lando knowing that L3's in there, which is kind of the worst thing for him to do at that point. Um, so yeah, I'm very much hoping that at some point we see that she's not actually in the ship anymore, but I don't have super faith in that. Well, I think that it's through the sequel trilogy so far, I think it's pretty safe to say that she hasn't been re- released because when they add her to yeah. the, the ship, the there's something about the sound of the ship had been different. Um, and then once she's added to the to the navigation you get the full hum of what the original trilogy Millennium Falcon used to be like the sound interesting the sound kicks in and so it finally sounds like the Millennium Falcon from the original trilogy like there's a high pitch hum or something like that yeah um so I think that she's in it at least through the sequel trilogy um but it also kind of goes back to 3PO's conversation about the dialect of the ship being particular. Yeah. An empire or whatever. Yeah, I think I would have been okay with this as like a plot device if, like I said, she'd been a different kind of droid. Or if she'd been more about, like, if the Falcon had been like her ship or something like that instead like, of just Lando's. Her choosing it would be a, a, a good point. Like, yeah, if like if she'd been like put me in the ship. Choice. Yeah. It would have been a better. Because that would have felt a lot better. Like if she'd been like put me in the ship and like I could do my purpose better here or like I want to be in the ship kind of thing. Like as she was dying, mm-hmm. um, would have been a lot better I think than just her dying and then putting her into the ship without her permission. Um, and like I mean, maybe she likes it in there. Who knows? We can't know anymore. But I don't. I really. Oh, I really don't like it. I'm sorry. Which makes me sad because I love, I love L three and Solo is such a fun movie. But that kind of jars me so much that I don't enjoy the movie as much, which is frustrating because I love almost every other part of it. Yeah. Um. What do you think Kira had to do to get off Corellia? Probably a lot of terrible stuff. Um. Like she's a young woman and she's in a terrible position of like being owned by other people. So I think she probably had to, you know, basically do whatever other people wanted. There was probably a lot of backstabbing, um, manipulation, stuff like that, because, you know, she's in a pretty diddly career path when we see her, um, off Corellia. Uh, I don't think she's very happy with who she is as a person anymore. Yeah. Like she does look very, like she's not happy with where she is in life like she's done stuff she's not proud of do you know what i mean yeah yeah but she like did it because she had to um and i think she probably doesn't think that han will understand that which maybe he won't because he hasn't had to do the same things yeah but yeah what do you think her necklace um means like L3 was asking her about that in the conversation. I totally forgot about that. In, in on the Falcon, 
um, L3 notices that Kira is wearing the Crimson Dawn necklace. And it kind of sounded to me like she's almost like property or betrothed to someone in Crimson Dawn. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think the insinuation there is that she is kind of betrothed to Dryden Voss, whether or not, like, actually. Um, but she definitely does belong to him in some form. Uh, and he, he, like, knows that, but he also kind of treats her as, like, an equal partner, despite having that power over her, which I think means that, like, I don't know, she was going to marry him or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's kind of foreshadowing of what she chooses in the end of the movie later on, because, you know, she's wearing this symbol of Crimson Dawn, and then she's just, like, she chooses Crimson Dawn in the end. And Darth Maul's wearing the same necklace as well. Yeah, I think that kind of goes along with the foreshadowing is that when we see that he's wearing that thing, you kind of know the choice she's made. Like, she's decided to follow that path. Do you think Maul will take her under his wing and teach her the dark side of the Force? I if hope we so. Ever get, like, a second <laughs> installment? I hope so. I don't know if she's ever going to end up being force sensitive or anything, but I hope that he at least takes her under his wing and teaches her to be like a crime lord because that would be kind of cool. I mean, like she's a she could be a good character, like a good person, but also we don't really have many like female villains outside of animated stuff. No, um, no, no. and it would be kind of cool to see Kira become like this crime lord that um like Han comes up against a bunch of times. I thought that um, Kira actually was. Uh, acted pretty well because I thought she had a lot of depth in the way that the nonverbals that she acted with during conversations. Like there was more going on like below the surface that than what she actually said with words. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, she was very good at, yeah, kind of showing that she would say something and she'd be thinking a lot more, um, especially when it came to her having conversations with Han about what she's done to get off Corellia. You can kind of see her internal struggle with wanting to talk to him, but not wanting to actually tell him what happened. Mm-hmm. Do you think Kira loves Han? I think she does, but I think, or at least she did. I think she's had to kind of, uh, kind of partition that away, mm-hmm. or else she will, you know, become weak in a way. Not, like, literally, but she is being... Like, if she ran away from Crimson Dawn, they would be hunted forever, basically. Um, And she knows that, like, being with Han won't... She's a very survival-based character, right? And so being with Han won't be good for her survival or his survival. And I think the reason, in the end, she chooses her choice is partly because she cares about Han and knows that her going with him won't be good for him either. Yeah. Because you can see she has that little sad smile as she watches the Falcon fly away, and I think that kind of shows that she does love him and she cares about him a lot, but she doesn't want to drag him into what she's already done. Yeah, I think she's trying to protect him from that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. Did you know that Emphis Ness was a female going into the movie? I think I did. I think I'd been somewhat spoiled for that. But I also, like, I didn't actually know, no, but when the movie started, like, the way the character looked, I was kind of like, yeah, okay, that makes sense that she's a woman or, like, a female character of some kind. Um, so I kind of had that foreknowledge, but I also, the movie, to me, was trying so hard to, like, not 
make it obvious that she was female, that I kind of was like, okay, she's a female then. <laughs> she's a woman. Would you have preferred to see Aaron Kellyman as part of the press tour prior to the movie? Like, considering she um, is a female villain, like, having that kind of representation or whatever um, out front and actually acknowledging it and having her part of the press, would you have rather they actually said that she was a female? I think so. I think I would have preferred them having um, Kellyman out as part of the press tour because it would have been cool to see her more uh, like as part of the cast. But also the whole kind of plot twist of, oh, it's actually a woman is very tired by now. Um, yeah. <laughs> like it's been done a million times and it's not as surprising as it could be. The biggest surprise is that she's so young mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like, you know, like some adult that's been doing these things. Uh, so I think, I would have preferred to see her out as part of the press tour and giving that kind of like representation out front. Uh, I can see why they did what they did, but I think they don't need to do that anymore. I think that movie would have been just as good knowing who Infant's Nest was, considering like a bunch of people went into it knowing anyways. Yeah. What do you think about having a Dread Pirate Roberts type mantle passed down from person to person in Star Wars now? I kind of dig that. I mean, I've always kind of liked the idea of Boba Fett becoming that um, in the future at some point. Uh, Infus Nest being that is kind of cool. I like the idea, though, that this, like, young girl has formed this role. Like, she's become, like, she started it, and she's become Infus Nest. Uh, like, I really love that idea, because she is young, but she's fighting for the rebellion and the cause. Uh, Wasn't like, her if... mother Infus Nest, too? I don't know. They kind of reference to the fact that her mother taught her, but they never actually straight up say that her mother was Infus Nest. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so I think the idea is that, like, it's... I don't know. I like the idea of it being a matriarchal lineage thing as well, but I think it's more that she... Her mother, like, died, and she kind of took up this mantle because there was nobody else to, you know, protect people. Um, she's kind of got, like, you know, a group of outcasts, which is really cool. I really love her whole little gang. Uh, but, like... It would be cool to have Infus Nest as, like, kind of a mantle after this particular, like, iteration that we've seen. Like, seeing another Infus Nest later on would be extremely cool. Or, like, seeing the same Infus Nest as, like, an older lady would be very cool as well. Um, I like the idea of both things. Yeah. I I think that is kind of um, cool the way that the anthology movies have really kind of played games with expectations going into movies um, where the person you think is the bad guy turns out to be a good guy and vice versa. The people you think that are good guys, they're a little shadier and like um, do things that you wouldn't think are, are morally correct. Like Cassian shooting the informant in the back. Um, yeah. Infus Ness being a rebellion leader that's actually trying to just – um, fund the rebellion like i think that that's kind of cool that they're flipping those expectations on their head yeah i think that's kind of a strength for these anthology films is that they don't have to adhere as closely to the black and white morality of the film like the main saga because the main saga has always been very about like good versus evil and even the new movies are kind of blurring that line a little bit they can't too much because you know, they're very strong morality films, but the anthology films aren't built around the idea of Jedi and Sith or like the light side and dark side as much. Like those ideas are there, but they're not the main core ideas of the movie. So they can kind of show a bit more of the darker sides of things or the more like 
non-specific sides of things. So like you can get these characters that are antagonistic and could potentially kill some of the main characters, but they're doing it for a good cause, like Emphis Nest. Um, and then, you, you know, you get Cassian who's kind of doing the same thing. Like it's for a good cause, but he does do these things that he is not proud of. Um, and it kind of shows more of the reality of how real people are is that they are multifaceted and sometimes they do do bad things for good reasons or they do good things for bad reasons, um, which is a lot more real, but is harder to use in the context of the core saga. Right, because people want labels. They, they like being able to put people in a box. and Yeah, like you can kind of see it with um, DJ in The Last Jedi is that people still don't know how to feel about him because he's this weird kind of character that does a whole bunch of things to help the heroes and then betrays him and kind of just screws off. Um, and I think he'll be back in episode nine. I could be wrong, I hope but so. yeah, I would love to see him cause I really like his character. Uh, but the fact that you've got such like a <laughs> ambiguous character in a core film, I don't think people entirely know what to do with that because it is a little confusing when you've got like these strongly moral characters next to him. You know, what's kind of cool is, um, if you get into like the spiritual discipline of the Jedi, um, specifically what Qui-Gon talked about a lot of listening to the living force and being guided by the living force. I think that you would find a lot of the Jedi having disagreements on what the force is telling them. Um, Mm. because like, like, I don't think that we all interpret things the same way. Um, and like, if you look at the prequels, the Jedi were terrible at listening to, the living force and opportunities that were right in front <laughs> yeah. of them to, to, to make different choices. Um, but I think that that, that's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Um, yeah, definitely. What do you think of, uh, Infus Nest ties to the rebellion? Do you think it's weird that the rebellion had like a biker gang? As a, as no, a I kind of love it because <laughs> this is early days of the rebellion, right? Yeah. Um, and I think at that point, like early in the rebellion, they would have kind of just had to have these weird little kind of gangs and groups of people that were willing to help the cause because they would have been very small and very informal and kind of needed what they could take. I love the idea of this like biker gang led by this young woman <laughs> yeah. being a leading force of the rebellion in the early days because you can kind of see that, you know, the rebellion was built up of these like outcasts who mm-hmm. are just doing their best. Uh, I I was, I didn't have any idea. Like I thought Infosnest was just going to be a villain, you know, like I thought maybe it would be like, you know, Han Solo's mom or something. I don't know. Um, but I didn't think that she would, you know, end up being tied to the rebellion because that's just a really cool link. Like I know people are tired of, you know, the movies linking everything together. It's like, oh, Han had a run with the rebellion before he was part of the rebellion. Ugh. But I mean, it's cool because you kind of get to see his choice that he doesn't want to be part of that at that point. But also you get to see more of how the rebellion has been built in the intervening years between, you know, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, because uh, we get a bit of that from, you know, Rebels as well and some of the novels. I really love the Emphasis Nest as part of the rebellion. Yeah. I, I think it's pretty cool. Um, I kind of want her and Mon Mothma and Hera to have some interactions. I think that that would be pretty fun. Yeah, I would really enjoy that. I would love to see more Emphis Nest in later stuff. I'm sure we will because she's a really cool character. Okay. So I've tried to be somewhat positive for the most of the part of this. Um, 
how would you have rewritten Val's storyline? Ooh, yeah, Val's a rough one because people were very excited about her character, and, you know, they kill her very early on, um, kind of not for any particular reason. Like, her death doesn't really affect Beckett that much beyond the scene, like, directly after that. Mm-hmm. For the rest of the movie, his actions aren't really defined by what happens to Val. No. Uh, so her death was kind of felt out of place. They just kind of felt like they wanted to just thin down the cast, which in the first place, like, why even bother? Rio's death is kind of sad as well because I like him, but also he's not, like, you know, a black woman who's a core character in a Star Wars film. Um, I really love Val. She's such a cool – she's, like, my kind of character. And I think personally I would have swapped Val and Beckett's roles. Um, Yeah. I know that, like, Beckett very much was, you know, the archetypal mentor kind of Western kind of guy. Uh, But I think Val in that role would have been extremely cool because she was just – a very cool character and i think her like she's quite not friendly particularly but you know she's a lot more receptive than beckett is i think her kind of going from this character we see earlier in the film to being a bit more harder towards han because of what happens to beckett would have been an interesting dynamic change to see um also like a mentor character who's like this badass woman would have been really cool because we don't really have that yet but do you think if you did make her Beckett, which I, I kind of like that idea, do you think we would run into this uh, a grief of Solo having to kill her at the end of the movie? Do you know what I mean? That is a fair point. Possibly he wouldn't kill her, or maybe he would either way. I mean, like, at that point, um, you've built up a lot more of this character. Like, she's an important character. Um, and if he does kill her, it could run into its own issues as well. Um, but I think giving her a more prominent role, regardless, to kill her, might as well do it in a prominent way. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think in a way that makes sense for the film. Been funny to um, have a dude be uh, the love interest that gets killed. Yeah, um, it would have been an interesting like expectation swap. Yeah, I think that that would have been interesting because you kind of expect more from Beckett, and he just kind of is Val's um, boyfriend or whatever. Like, I think that that would have been interesting if he was the one that, that, that died. Yeah. And it, it's sad because like Sandy Newton is amazing. Like she's such a good actress and it feels kind of wasted to have her in this movie just for a brief amount of time. Um, she's so good. And her character is so cool. Like everyone fell in love with their character so quickly. And Beckett's just kind of like, you know, the same kind of archetype that you see in so many things. Like I, I watch him and I'm like, oh, this feels like I'm just watching Haymitch from The Hunger Games kind of thing. Like, I mean, I love The Hunger Games. So, of course, I would draw that parallel myself. But he he does kind of just fall into, like, this kind of hard-ass mentor type, which we've seen before. But getting Val's character as a mentor would have been so cool because, one thing, we get more Thandie Newton. But also, we get this, like, yeah, expectation and role change from the usual. And that's kind of what the anthology films exist for is that they can – they can play with the medium in a different way. And I'm kind of sad this movie didn't do that. But also, Kasdan does have a habit of falling back into archetypes quite a lot. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's only so much you can expect in that place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it, though. I hope we get, like, more Val prior to Solo. Like, I don't know, more comics about her or a novel about her or a novel that she's in or something. Like, that would be cool. Or if she, like, turns up in, I don't know, an animated series at some point in the future. I think they could easily do a comic of Beckett possibly killing Aura Singh. 
and yeah. like incorporating Cad Bane and Boba Fett, like that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Any of the female characters from Solo? There's a background character who's a female character who's named after me, and she's very cool. No, I'm kidding. Um... Yes, let's talk about her. <laughs> you see, like the side of her sleeve or something in one of the scenes at the um in the yacht, and I like. Because I was looking out for the pattern of her outfit. And I was like, there she is. I see her. Uh, Pablo for a named second. her after you, right? Yeah, apparently. Um, she's Kara Safwan. And she's got a fringe like mine. Um, and yeah, like I got sent a picture of the visual guide. And someone was like, Saf, is this you? Uh, and I looked at it. I was like, that's a weird coincidence. Um, and then Kristen Hidalgo asked Pablo and was like, yeah, he named her after you. And I was like, whoa. So yeah, there's a character in Solo named after me, apparently. But you barely see her, which it's still very exciting to me. That's so cool, man. <laughs> oh, man. And she's in the uh, the the casino scene, right? Um, Yeah, and like when they first go to Dreyenvoss's yacht and Han's like kind of in oh. that little kind of party area. In the um, yacht, okay. Yeah, yeah, she's like kind of in the background there at one point very cool yeah when i get the movie i will definitely try to find her <laughs> good luck i'm gonna do that too i'm gonna find a screenshot of her so i can like be like there she is my profile picture <laughs> cool well saf i want to thank you so much for joining me um where can people find you online yeah, thank you for having me on. It was lovely talking to you about this. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Wanderlustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. You can find me in my podcast network at notsafework.com. Um, so like notsafework.com, but without an E. Uh, I'm also on Rogue Podron and Blaster Cannon and something else that I've now forgotten. Um, but yeah, basically Twitter is the best place to find me. <laughs> you have so many pots <laughs> spinning at once. How it is hard to keep track of things. Track. Oh, Wasted Reaches. That's the other one. I do love that one. Oh, yeah. That's the uh, literary one, right? With Yeah, it's kind of pop culture in general. So it's about games and books and sometimes Star Wars. Okay, cool. Well, now it's time to hear from you. Uh, you can email us your thoughts on the ladies of Solo at moonjockeyspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow the podcast at moonjockeyspod. You can follow me at ballsandplay. Uh, you can look forward to the Fives arc from the Clone Wars Lost Missions next week. Thank you for listening, and until next time, may the Force be with you, always.
Mr. Button Cherry.